Have you ever had the courage to speak up? Well, our next guest not only had the courage to speak up, but she found herself in the midst of a national controversy. So you don't want to miss her story. And we're going to be talking about that next. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. In 2017, then 22-year-old graduate student Lindsay Shepard was called into a disciplinary meeting with two professors and an education bureaucrat. She was called in to talk about a class that she was tutoring in, and the rest is history. From there, there was quite a discussion around a number of issues, and you'd be shocked about that story. And with me here to talk about that story is the author and columnist, Lindsay Shepard. Welcome, Lindsay. Thanks for having me today. Well, Lindsay, it is very uh, exciting to talk with you today because um, I think for many people, um, your story was a kind of a landmark story, a revelation, if you will, about what's going on in Canada's universities. And your story went from being a graduate student, um, really with a lot of privacy, to someone known by many Canadians. I would dare say millions of people became familiar with your story almost overnight. And it's a story that I think I'd like to walk through with you today if I can, because I think there's some much larger lessons to be learned about it. So you entered the program in a master's in communications, but a particular type of study of communication. So I just want to set the, the stage here a little bit. So part of that communications program is that you would lead a, a class in discussions and particular topics about grammar. Is that right? Right. So the professor would take care of the main lecture, which is in the lecture hall. But because there are hundreds of students, you know, you also need to have that um, closer, you know, smaller classroom time. So that's where, you know, the teaching assistants come in. Now, I understand, Lindsay, that one of the topics related to grammar was the whole debate, if you will, regarding the use of pronouns. Can you tell us more about that debate and, and the context uh, way back in 2017? Yeah, so we had a textbook assigned to the course, very typical, and it did have a, a section on pronouns, which I found kind of intriguing because at the time that was a major topic in the news. Um, and, and just in society, people talking about pronouns. Um, and so my angle with the class, I thought, okay, let's bring in this really kind of bigger picture topic and bring it back down to the grammar level. So talking about um, he, she, they. So can they be used to refer to someone in the singular? Um, what, what other languages do we know that use non-gendered pronouns versus gendered pronouns? So it was an academic discussion and um, it was, you know, derived from the textbook. The, the class was very engaged in the discussion. And, you know, to demonstrate, I should mention the whole thing. Uh, I, I brought in a clip from TV Ontario. So publicly funded television, a show called The Agenda with Steve Pakin. Uh, I had watched clips from that in my, you know, undergraduate career before. 
great show that covers a lot of different things. So on one mm-hmm. panel discussion, they were featuring Dr. Jordan Peterson, who was then, you know, uh, burgeoning. He was becoming more and more famous, um, you know, psychologist at the University of Toronto. And he was talking about Bill C-16. So adding pronouns on the basis of grounds that you can't, you know, like gender expression, adding gender expression to the basis of grounds that you cannot discriminate against. So he was talking about how people's preferred pronouns will become uh, compelled speech. And if you don't use them, you could end up, you know, in a criminal situation. So I brought this in, in the discussion about pronouns. And, you know, this, I mean, this whole, this whole section about talking about pronouns, it's probably lasted 12 minutes. So it was not even the majority of the classroom time that I had. Um, Mm -hmm. The class went well, like I said, people were engaged. Um, you know, usually you get a lot of students who are disengaged. They're on their laptops, they're on their phones. I'm sure it's even more like that now after years of online learning, but even back then it was like that. And, um, but this particular class, you know, everyone was, um, listening to each other speak, listening to each other's, um, points of view. And, uh, it it was a great class or so I thought. So to your credit, Lindsay, as a, a dynamic uh, teaching assistant, you brought in real life debate that's going on in society regarding kind of a hot topic um, regarding pronouns of all things. So, and and just to clarify for for people that maybe are not as familiar with this, there's this movement where people are putting in beneath their signature, like on their email, they're saying um, he, him, or like, can you explain that to us? Like how that's coming into culture today and people's emails and what, why are they doing that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's exploded since then. I mean, even five years ago that was starting. Um, so yeah, people will put he, him, she, her, people also use kind of like double pronouns. So I've seen she, they, or he, they, so like, you know, kind of a refer to me how you want kind of thing. Or they're like, I'm any, any gender. Uh, so that's, you know, they're just, identifying, they're trying to show solidarity with maybe people who use alternative pronouns. I should mention this, this kind of isn't so much a debate in, in 2023, but back in 2017, people were talking about G, Z, Zer, Zim, like these very alternative pronouns. That, that, that almost sounds like a different language. You mean, these are kind of modifiers of how people want to be referred to as, is that right? That's right. Yeah. And I think five years ago, it was it was more of a debate. It turns out not that many people. I, I think it'd be pretty rare to meet someone who actually goes by Zizhir. Uh, but the the they them for a single person has become, I would say, you can definitely run into someone who has that. Uh, these days, I mean, even employees of businesses, Starbucks, for example, they give their employees little pins that say she, her. Um, oh, so yes, yeah, right. the, yeah, so it, it's just kind of everywhere. Uh, it's become yeah. an orthodoxy, right? Uh, yeah. If you don't so do it's it. It's kind of a, a belief system, Lindsay. Is it fair to say that people can assert any, any gender that they want to assert they are? And then you put that on your name tag or your email, and then you ask people to use, you know, that reference. Um but Jordan, Dr. Jordan Peterson, what is his concern basically in this context? In the clip that you showed, um, there's clearly people that would advocate for the use of these kind of different 
variation of pronouns out of a kind of a tolerance or a concern for other people. But what is Dr. Peterson's point, if, if I understand that correctly? Yeah, his point was that it was going to become compelled speech. And um, he's, he has spoken about how something like your personal pronoun is not a one-way street. It's not all about how you see yourself. It's also about how other people see you. And so, yeah, if you were to misgender someone, call someone by the wrong gender, um, you could be committing a crime or, or like a hate crime or hate speech, something along those lines. And then he was debating with another professor who was Nicholas Matt, a professor of transgender studies at the U of T. And Matt's argument was, well, we just have to use these pronouns because this is people's dignity. And so I, mm -hmm. I very specifically showed both sides of that argument. Um, because that's what I saw my job as, as, as a, someone who was teaching at the front of the classroom, is you show multiple perspectives, you show both sides. And I remained neutral in this discussion because that's how okay. I saw my job. Wow. So you remained neutral, you showed the clip, and then you thought you had a very good class, and then you got a call. Is that right? Or an email? I got an email. I got an email that said there were some concerns about my class. So the email didn't say anything about what the concerns were. They were just concerns. I had to meet with the professor of the class, as well as a diversity office um, manager, and the coordinator of my graduate studies program. Now, all this was strange, because what does the coordinator of my graduate program have to do with this? It's a different department. Like, you know, is my status as a graduate student at risk here? That was one red flag. Other, you know, red flag was I'm not, I didn't feel I was someone who needed to meet with a diversity bureaucrat. Uh, so I thought, really? Like me? Okay. Well, I'll go to this meeting and I'll record it because there were just too many red flags. And I just, I just thought I need to be able to protect myself because this is just very strange. I've never been in a situation like this. So you decided. Your spidey sense, your spidey senses were were tuned up, and you said, "Wow, I should record this." Um, that's kind of amazing. Have you, that's not necessarily a usual thing to do in a meeting, but you had the sense that I should record it. Yeah, no, I I didn't even have a precedent for that. Like I'd never heard of anyone recording a meeting. I just kind of knew. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out, like we were not in a union. I didn't have any representative. I didn't have any witness who would obviously be on my side. It was just me in there. And so I felt I need some way to back myself up. Yeah. Well, to be clear, that was, there were three of them and only one of you and, yes. and you were the graduate student. So um, it makes a lot of sense that you decided to record it. Um, so what, how did that conversation go? What, what's the basic outline of it? The basic outline was um, I had remained neutral when I brought Jordan Peterson into the classroom. And Jordan Peterson is basically like Hitler. Uh, that's what one of my professors said. And so I was Sorry, accused- they, they compared Dr. Jordan Peterson uh, to Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Um, why, uh, why would they say that? Because he's evil to them, right? He's, he's not part of their, their leftist orthodoxy. So he, he must be super evil. Uh, they called him a whole bunch of other things too, you know, a charlatan even though as an academic, he is more accomplished than either of the two professors in the room. They said a whole bunch of 
things. Um, but I was accused of transphobia, um, targeting trans students, and oh. I violated the school's sexual and gendered harassment policy by not respecting preferred pronouns and exposing people to transphobia. And uh, I had also broken the Ontario Human Rights Code and Bill C-16 itself. Wow. So they were saying many, many things, including that you were out of line. And um, we it was a difficult conversation. And, and so I we do have that um, uh, a part of the clip of that recording, and we'd like to play that now if we could. Do you understand how what happened was contrary to so what was the, the, the policy the, the, the gender gendered and sexual violence policy like do you understand how but sorry what did i violate in that policy um so gender-based violence uh transphobia uh do you see where like how this is not this is not something like that's intellectually neutral that is kind of up for debate this i mean this is the charter of rights and but freedoms. it is up for debate <sighs> but I mean, you're perfectly welcome to your own opinions, mm -hmm. but when you're bringing it into the context of the classroom, that can become problematic. But when they leave the university, they're going to be exposed to these ideas. So I don't see how I'm doing a disservice to the class by exposing them to ideas that are really out there. And I'm sorry I'm crying. I'm stressed out because this to me is so wrong. It's so wrong. Wow. What a conversation. I think most people would be shocked by that kind of conversation. What was it like for you in that? Um, it must have been very difficult to keep your, your composure like that. I was struck by your courage and, and, and the way you were thinking, Lindsay. How, what was it like for you? Yeah, part of the frustration for me in that meeting was I repeatedly asked for a copy of the complaints that they received. And I would ask, you know, what did the complaint say? Like, can I see it? Um, who, you don't need to tell me the names of who complained, but like how many people, like did the whole class complain? Like they were not telling me anything. Uh, and spoiler alert, it turns out no complaint existed. Um, Pardon me, so there was no complaint when they said there was. Right, so the university president later said that no complaint under any Laurier policy was made. And so it's still wow. a mystery to me five years later how this came to be. Whose prerogative was this? Yeah, so it's, it's actually kind of amazing that they asserted that there was a complaint, there wasn't one, there was an investigation. Was there an apology that came out of that? There were apologies, um, one from the university president and one from Nathan Rambucana, who was the professor of the class. For some reason, um, the other professor, Pim Lott, and then the diversity bureaucrat, Adria Joel, kind of got off scot-free. I mean, Rambucana and Pim Lott, those two professors, they're still, they're still at Laurier. They're still getting their six-figure salaries and their benefits, getting their raises every year. Well, it, it's, it's an astounding conversation. Um, you can actually go online and, and listen to the whole conversation. It's, it's really an eye-opening uh, conversation. Uh, that's the understatement of the day. But you you took that recording and um, you decided to share it with the media. Can you tell us what happened then? Yeah. So after I left the room, right after, 
I was pretty upset. Uh, to me, you know, I kind of only had an instinctual understanding of what university was, what the university stood for. Mm-hmm. I I hadn't studied it in the way that I have now, you know, like really looking at the foundation of of the purpose of a university. That's just something I hadn't looked into. I just kind of thought instinctually they're violating what academia is all about. And I think I'm in the right here. So immediately after the meeting, I thought, well, at this point, well, you know, something also from the meeting is that they were insinuating that I might be kicked out or something because they said they need to bring this issue to the chair of the department. They need to see what the next steps here are. Um, That was the very end of the meeting. And so I thought, okay, well, it looks like at this point I have nothing to lose because um, I might be kicked out anyway. So let's show people what's going on here. And so I looked up local reporters who have written about freedom of expression or academic freedom in the past. I thought, okay, who will have an understanding of this? And one of the people I reached out to was Christy Blatchford from the National Post. She has now passed away, unfortunately, very sadly. But she was the first one who kind of immediately replied. And that was the first story on November 10th, 2017. Yeah. And I I personally remember that well, uh, Lindsay. Um, And it just went viral, didn't it? Um, Why do you think it went viral, this story? I think at that point, people still cared about universities. I think now there's been a lot of demoralization over the years. But I think things were different back then because people still felt invested in universities as places that, you know, their children or grandchildren will go and improve their future and deepen their knowledge. Uh, and so they, they saw this direct evidence. I think maybe because I recorded the meeting, this was the first time people had direct evidence that the university is not how they remember it, or it's not the idyllic thing it it used to be. It's not full Mm -hmm. place in society. Uh, and now have direct proof. And interestingly, you know, the mainstream media was actually very fair to me and oh, really? I, I felt they were and i've had other people say the same thing it was really just the the professors specifically at laurier but also just leftist professors at any university who were the ones who were being very hostile very vicious wow but in terms of how i was portrayed in the media i didn't have any major complaints i would say well that's great but to be clear, um, it went viral because you had blown the whistle on the state of what's really going on. Um, we, we, you know, we have to be careful. We can't generalize across every university, but most public universities are kind of like this. They're, they're dominated by radical leftist um, ac- you know, academics, particularly in the humanities, who are all about this kind of perspective and don't want there to be... Um, dare I say, a kind of a freedom of speech. Is that right? That's right. They don't want to be challenged. And a part of me thinks it's because they actually aren't familiar with the opposing arguments. They actually can't defend a lot of their their very staunchly held beliefs. Um, and so, yeah, they, they are not for freedom of expression. They're not for independent thought. 
And there was a tweet I saw by an artist named Nina Paley the other day. She said, universities are a welfare system for PhD students, <laughs> something along the lines of that. Like, that's what they are now. So the point is that a lot of people in their minds, I assume that universities are places of learning and critical thinking, and there's vigorous debate and healthy debate going on that are respectful. But that's not what was going on here. And, and I think that's why your case, your story is so powerful. Is that is that a fair comment, Lindsay? It is, yeah. And from that point on, everything kind of unraveled for me in terms of um, how I thought about academia. Because before I had a lot of mm. reverence for the university. I thought this is just the, the best institution we have. And um, I believe in everything it stands for. But yeah, at that point, I, I started to see through a lot of what was going on. Um, you know, my, my graduate program itself was very uh, academically and intellectually empty. Um, and I, I mean, I still graduated with the degree because what can you do? But uh, a lot started to make sense to me, I would say, after that, because I had a lot of analysts who had been following campus free speech issues for years, um, helping me see what was going on. Okay, so in that context, though, Lindsay, when, when you say the degree was kind of intellectually empty, what do you mean by that? I, I think people would be shocked to hear that. Like, you went to graduate school, you did a master's in, in this particular area of communications. What do you mean that it was intellectually empty? Yeah, so this was the MA of Cultural Analysis and Social Theory. Like I said, I thought it sounded very philosophical, you know, with a hint of sociology, in there. Um, it turns out it was just, it was the study of Michel Foucault, who's like the most cited scholar in, in the social sciences. It's just nothingness. There's, it's really just nothingness. Um, I, I learned later that the program was on the chopping block a few years ago. I think my graduate program only had, you know, 12 people in it or something like that. Mm -hmm. And really the only value I got from the entire program was when I wrote my own master's paper at the end to graduate. Mm -hmm. um, and I wrote about, you know, I had an advisor who approached me and said, you should write about everything that's going on with these campus free speech issues. Uh, and so I did that. And yeah, that advanced me because it was my own project. It was my own paper, but the classes taught by the leftist professors were, yeah, just, just emptiness really. Wow. So it, it, it must be confusing for people to hear this in the sense that the this particular university is dominated in the humanities by these people that are of a particular ideological point of view. They're they're how would you describe them? What what would you say is their ideology then? Is there is there a way to generalize? Oh yeah. Um so you know, they're very pro trans women or women, so that kind of thing. Um, they're pro land acknowledgement. So believing that uh, everyone who's not an indigenous Canadian is an uninvited guest or settler. Mm -hmm. They, you know, all of the universities issued statements about the 215 remains from the former Kamloops residential school, where there's been no excavation. So there are no remains, but um, you know, they'll, they'll go along saying that there are, um, you know, they're, they're, 
they use the pronouns. It's all about diversity, equity, inclusion. But what that really means is if you don't believe the same things we believe, then we will exile you. Uh, that's why mm -hmm. I, I titled my book, Diversity and Exclusion, Confronting the Campus Free Speech Crisis. I wrote that in 2021 because, yeah, they don't want to include you. If you don't believe what they believe, they will exclude you. They will try to banish you. <laughs> so um, they're pro-choice, which, you know, pro-life, pro-choice, okay, but uh, you know, they, I mean, these are people who will really shut down anything they don't believe. That's the whole mm -hmm. modus operandi here, right? If, if they don't believe it, they will, they want to shut it down. Hmm. So it, it, people probably are, are again, surprised to learn that instead of being about tolerance, there is no room for other points of view. It's, it's actually very intolerant. Right. And it's become more insular at the universities now because um, so the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, they actually keep a whole database, like a case archive of examples of universities hiring, not by merit, you know, for professor positions, not by merit, but by skin color, gender, disability status, and oftentimes by ideology. You know, your research has to have certain conclusions. Um, a lot of the time this takes the plate takes the form of decolonial methodology, like your whole research has to be about decolonizing. Uh, or you when you apply for a professor position, you have to show your show evidence that you have a commitment to diversity, equity and inclusion. Of course, this would completely exclude someone like me from ever being near a university, right? Because I rip into their entire ideology so wow. um yeah so ironically there's not a place for you in a university among others who are critical of this diversity inclusion equity agenda this kind of ideology uh is that right right and you know they don't want to be attacked for for something like that even though mm -hmm. they deserve criticism i mean i'm sure we'll get into the lawsuit later but uh, they said that if I'm not able to pursue an academic career, that's not their fault, but it's because I've been criticizing universities. Wow. Um, yeah, I think I'm allowed to criticize universities, as are you. Uh, there's a lot going on we need to talk about. They're, they're not immune to criticism. Yeah. Exactly. You, you think that that kind of uh, debate would be welcomed and necessary, especially when the taxpayer is funding a lot of the cost of these public universities. It almost begs the question, should we be defunding these public universities because they're not necessarily educating people, but only indoctrinating people in a particular ideology? Is that a fair comment? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think a, a lot of people have said, you know, if a, a university is not showing a commitment to free expression and um, academic freedom, then they should be defunded because that's right. They get billions of dollars of taxpayer funding um, every year, you know, Canada's universities. And what th these are just ideological training centers. That's what we want to spend billions of dollars on. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't make any sense. So Lindsay, I was struck again by the fact that there was no complaint about your class. If in fact, if anything, you had a very engaged classroom. So who was hostile to your situation? Like, can you tell us more about, like when you, when you came out about this story and um, it went public at Wolfrid Laurier, you got 
support from a handful of people, including David Haskell, which is great, a professor. Uh, he was well known for standing up to, you know, the principles of this issue. But what happened? Like, why was there such little support? Were you surprised by that? And who was hostile? So, yeah, you know, I received support from David Haskell, William McNally, those two professors at Laurier. There were some more. Um, the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, the professors affiliated there too. Um, Heterodox Academy in the U.S. Uh, I won an award from them in 2018. Yes, congratulations. Thanks. Um, as for who was hostile, it was really the the clique of professors um, from my department. They were absolutely the, the most vicious, the people who were directly mm. in the two departments that I was in. Um, and then, yeah, some, some other kind of adjacent professors at the neighboring university, the University of Waterloo, um, other universities across Canada. Um, but really a lot of the vitriol came from professors. Wow. Well, it's so disappointing to hear that. You think that, um, if anything, academics would be at the forefront of, I think of Volt Voltaire's famous statement, I may not disagree, I may not agree with you, but I defend to the death your right to say what you want to say. So I find that very disappointing. So if when you step back, this is about five years now from this story, are there lessons that you would say, well, these are these are important things that I've learned coming out of this? Yeah, I mean, like I touched on before, just kind of the whole respect I had for academia kind of came crumbling. Uh, I'm now a firm believer that we need to defund all of the diversity, equity, inclusion departments. There's no reason for those you would, to You would exist. defund them. Why is that? Oh, absolutely. They need to be shut down. They are in the business of, of um, shutting down speech they don't like. That's kind of all they do. And, and then they get people in trouble like me who are have, trying to have open discussions about current societal issues. One of that one of those issues happened to be pronouns. They want to shut that down, so they are they are censors. Um, wow. That's kind of how they justify their whole existence. Uh, okay. Or they have you know their trainings that they do. Laurier just implemented a, a new anti racism training for all staff, all faculty. Uh, well, what is the training? It's just going to tell you, okay, you're allowed to say this. You're not allowed to touch this. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be imposing mm. these limits on people, making them self-censor, making them realize like, oh, okay, I, I can't touch that issue. Okay. Like that's what mm -hmm. it is. Um, but I think the universities, they're churning out all these people who are in, I mean, they have an MA social justice, um, MA women and gender studies, right? I mean, what else are these people going to do but work in diversity departments? And the heads of these departments get six-figure salaries. Um, wow. so, I mean, these just, it's so clear, it just needs to go, but unfortunately we're just seeing it expanded to private businesses, other institutions. Okay. So this is confusing for a lot of people. They'd say, well, of course we're against racism. I mean, that's totally inappropriate. That's not a, a Canadian value of tolerance and respect for every fellow Canadian, but that's not what we're talking about here. Is it Lindsay? Um, it's not about anti-racism. It's about promoting something else. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, I'm sure if you said you weren't totally open borders, then they would call you a racist. 
racist is is anything they want you to be to shut down what you think. Um, Sorry, what do you mean by what do you mean by open borders, Lindsay? Well, let's say you you believe that there should be restrictions on immigration in Canada. Hmm. I mean, I had a graduate student in my class tell me that that's extremely racist. And and these oh, people because we I don't mean, allow anybody into the country. That's right. Okay. Wow. And why why would they argue that that's racist uh, to have national borders, as an example? Because they don't really think about anything other than the isms, you know, and and gender and race. Like that's all they think about. It's hard for them to imagine economics or resources or um, sovereignty. It's hard for them to think about anything like that because the the academic standards are so low. Um, maybe they've always lived in Canada and they just haven't, they don't have an expanded worldview. Uh, yeah, their, their minds, mm -hmm. it's just, it's just very, um, small minded. And plus, I, I mean, I should say if you write your thesis or you focus your academic career on finding racism and everything, finding sexism and everything, um, you'll do really well. You'll get lots of grants. You'll get lots of promotions, tenure track position. Uh, that's how you can succeed is trying to find, um, problematic things. Wow. So from your observation, then you're saying that within universities, we have a whole cadre, a large team of people that are clearly uh, teaching this agenda of diversity and inclusion. Um, there's a whole bureaucracy as well that supports it and funds it as well in terms of research. So it's um, they've really taken over the public universities. Is that is that your sense of it? That is absolutely my sense. I hope that maybe if we hit some sort of rock bottom, if we're not there already, then maybe we can rebuild and maybe we can get the universities back. I'm not sure mm -hmm. how, because you know the whole thing about university is there's tenure. And so mm -hmm. these professors aren't necessarily going anywhere. Though I should mention the yeah. case of Frances Widowson at Mount Royal University. She's a, a scholar, um, really accomplished author, who talks about indigenous issues, but because she doesn't do it from that lens that is acceptable in the university, she was tenured and she was fired. That was December exactly. 21st. Yeah. Mount Royal University in Calgary. Um, she, yeah, just because she studied indigenous issues from a lens that was not approved. Right. Well, your, your recommendation of defunding this kind of agenda is really quite incisive and, and makes a lot of sense because if that school of thought is all about censorship and shutting down freedom of expression and freedom of speech all in the name of quote tolerance which is actually really intolerant then you really can't you can't really have a thinking academy so why should canadians care about this issue lindsay when you when you when you sit back and think about it why would canadians say wow this this is an important discussion well, I mean, the university is a producer of knowledge and research, and we want to be able to depend on that knowledge and research and and have it be valuable. This is where our children, our grandchildren, uh, and you know us, that's where we that's where these students are going to go. They're going to become ideologically indoctrinated. Or maybe they won't be, but they'll learn to self-censor and they'll learn that to be, mm -hmm. you know, accepted in polite society in Canada, there are certain topics you just cannot touch or that you cannot mm -hmm. speak out on. 
So that's wow. what they'll come away with after four years. And yeah. this is not limited to the university. I mean, just recently, the Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, which I've mentioned, they were trying to host a keynote speech at the London, Ontario Library. And the speaker was Joanna Williams. She's an author of a book called How Woke Won. And she wanted to talk about um, sex and gender and free speech. So talking about mm -hmm. things like, you know, should biological males be in women's prisons or women's shelters or women's sports, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, and why is, why do we have a stifled discussion about this topic? Uh, ironically, the public library in London, Ontario um, said that this talk would violate their harassment policies. They gave, you know, a variety of excuses. And so they canceled that. They said they would not host that. So wow. this is a public library. So now, you know, I mean, universities are relatively elite, right? Like not everyone can go to university, but the public library would be somewhere that's accessible to everyone. And now, and, you know, also taxpayer funded. And now we can't even have discussions there. So where can we go? No, it, it's an absurd situation, Lindsay. And, and you pointed out so well that these places, whether they're libraries or universities or any schools, really should be respectful places of healthy debate. But they're not. They've been taken over by, what would you say they are, totalitarian, authoritarian type um, individuals who want us to all think a certain way? Is that the problem? It is. And, you know, specifically on that issue that I was talking about with um, biological males in women's sport, in women's spaces, um, there was a UN human rights office. So it was the special rapporteur on violence against women and girls. Her name is mm -hmm. Reem Al-Salem, like affiliated with the United Nations, a human rights office. Um, she said she released a statement recently saying she's very concerned that countries, Western countries, are have a shrinking space for discussion on this issue. And so we would typically, you know, associate the United Nations with, you know, they deal with, you know, countries that are having a lot of problems. But now Canada, the UK, the US, Australia, New Zealand, people are recognizing, you know, even if you don't like the United Nations, like, sure. But there, there are these human rights experts are recognizing that we have a problem here with censorship and with shutting down discussion. So speaking of discussion, Lindsay, we know that freedom of discussion is vital for our society. Not only is it a place that we search out truth, like we, we have healthy debates about all kinds of issues through human history, but it's a way that we can innovate. We can search for the truth. We can look at evidence and facts, and it really allows us to become prosperous without that kind of open discussion. We don't have the scientific method. We don't have prosperity. So this federal government has introduced legislation like Bill C-11. I know they're working on regulations to censor the internet now. Are you concerned about that? I am because they, they are doing this in the name of Canadian content. So when you open YouTube, you get recommendations, right? And so now what they're doing is they're going to toy with the algorithm of what is recommended to you. And it's, I mean, it's pretty clear what it's going to be is government approved content. Uh, I Really, are they gonna feed you videos from outlets that are more conservative that are, let's say, criticizing the liberal government or criticizing Justin Trudeau mm -hmm. 
um, because that would be Canadian content, but um, I don't see them promoting that. So, I mean, look, we'll have to see what happens. It is going to be implemented. That's what it looks like. Um, but that's what they're doing is, is they want to mess or toy with the algorithm of what you're shown um, so that they can feed you content that they want to feed you. Exactly. So let's stay tuned about uh, Bill C-11. And, and it's a very uh, important um, move on the government's part to uh, really censor that kind of freedom of discussion, which is so important. I also want to focus on the whole idea that is this focus on diversity um, and inclusion and equity, as you've, as you've powerfully outlined in universities as an example, um, almost a kind of a waste of time when we should be talking about very important issues like our economy, inflation, or affordability in our society. It's almost like the government is relentlessly going ahead with policies that, that really take it to the middle class in terms of their future. And meanwhile, we should be talking about the important issues around how do we even educate people so they can get a job and then they can be critical thinkers and contribute to our society. Is this all a diversion, Lindsay? It, it could be a diversion. It's completely unnecessary. It's a waste of so much money and resources. There's no reason to be investing taxpayer money in, in things like only giving certain grants to people of a certain skin color. Let's just call this what it is, right? This is discrimination. Mm -hmm. Uh, the job mm -hmm. ads that I was referencing, where where they are only going to hire racialized people, um, or or you know very common also is that they will only hire indigenous people. I mean, this is just discrimination. Um, and then, but people have this whole idea that they're taught at the universities that um, white people can't you can't be racist against a white person because racism is mm -hmm. a structure and it's systemic. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you ask them to really go into what that means, they don't have an answer. And so they'll just call you a racist for questioning it. Wow. So instead of talking about the very real issues, we just simply demonize other people, which is really pretty bad stuff. Yes. So what can we do, Lindsay Shepard, as we look to... Um, you know, this type of situation, obviously, it means a lot to Canadians. It's very important to the future of our country. What can we do? In your case, you had, it's really quite incredible as we look to this some five years ago, you had the courage to speak up. What can we do as Canadians to start turning the tide on this insanity? So one thing I would say is don't apologize if you feel like you mm. don't need to. During the whole Laurier controversy, I never apologized for, you know, allegedly hurting trans people because I didn't. Um, I didn't feel I had anything to apologize for. Um, having an academic, open, neutral discussion is not hurtful. Yet, I mean, unfortunately, you, you will see a lot of people apologize for things. I mean, recently, the Blue Jays baseball player, Anthony Bass, he's been in the news because he shared on his personal Instagram um, support of some boycotts. So people are currently boycotting two companies. I mean, these are kind of more high profile. Um, mm -hmm. Target, because the US yeah. store Target, because they're selling, um, you know, gear that promotes gender transition. So like mm -hmm. tucking 
for males who who want a female the look of female genitalia when they wear clothes stuff like that for kids uh and then the other thing is bud light beer they partnered with dylan mulvaney who is Mm -hmm. a biological male who prances around and plays with barbies and says this is a journey of girlhood so um yeah this baseball player supported these boycotts on his social media just reposted something Mm -hmm. and yeah he he had to apologize there's now calls for many organizations to have him uh, kicked off the team. And so it, it just wow. showed, and this was after he apologized. They're, the calls to get him kicked off are after he apologized. So it really didn't do anything. Um, and something I did when so, I was- so By the way, uh, Lindsay, in that case, do you think there will be a, a reaction to that? Like, does this revolve into being a, a nonsensical kind of debate where all of a sudden you're going to have a movement now to, to boycott the Blue Jays. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, if you look at the, the, a number of people that are getting tired of this endless wokeism and uh, this uh, effort to try to cancel out people, doesn't this, uh, you know, take us nowhere as a society? Oh yeah. It takes us nowhere. Um, But it employs people at those, you know, LGBT organizations like Agal Canada, they're the ones who are behind the move to get Anthony Bass kicked off the team for uh, reposting this. Okay, so there's um, there's activist organizations that are being they're enabled to to constantly being picking they're picking and bullying on people. Yeah, they also want to that same organization Agal Canada wants to ban Fox News from cable packages in Canada. Of course, yeah, um, of course. And I mean, the groups like this, like the Canada Anti-Hate Network, for example, they get government money to do this kind of thing. They get so, sorry, the government is funding some of these organizations. Yes. Is that what's yeah. really going on? Oh, yeah. The Canadian uh, Anti-Hate Network, who, I mean, their whole thing is they run a blog where they go after people who they see as hateful, like like Billboard Chris, the guy who goes around to different cities with a billboard on his body that that's, uh, speaks out against children taking puberty blockers. Oh, uh, yes, yeah, they'll right. write hit pieces on him. And yes, they are government funded. And then they'll just pinpoint someone they don't like, like Billboard Chris, and write a hit piece, and then they cash in. <laughs> well, well said, Lindsay Shepard. And thank you so much for sharing your powerful story, uh, a story of courage about how you spoke up. And thank you for joining us today and sharing insights about what we can all do to make Canada a better place of the strong and the free. Thank you. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.